But I have a question for you. When you think of God, and just do a little interaction here, give me, um, what are some things you think about when you think of God? If somebody came up to you and they said, describe God to me. What are some of his attributes? What are some of the things you would say? Just shout them out. Somebody help me out. God is father, creator. What else? Almighty. Love. Love is the common one, right? I mean, if you ask anybody, oh, God is love. I'm omniscient. Omnipotent. Omnipotent. However you want to say it. He's all powerful, right? Don't worry about me. I just have a degree in theology, but I'll learn how to pronounce the words. Almighty. I wrote a few down. Love, merciful, peace, patience. He's a comforter, creator, omnipotent, omniscient. Almighty, forgiving, eternal, omnipresent, counselor, redeemer. But you know, there's one big word that's missing from this list. There's one huge one that almost never gets mentioned when you say, who is God? And it's this one, sending. God is a sending God. By his very nature, by, by just who he is, he is ascending God. Now, what do we mean by that? Well, we're going we're gonna to talk about it a little bit this morning. But, you know, at Christmas, what do we celebrate at Christmas? Jesus what? Jesus' birth, his coming, right? His first coming to the earth. And when, when Jesus comes, he, he inaugurates a kingdom. I'm going to shift gears here just for a second, and then we're going to come right back. But he inaugurates the kingdom of God over which he rules because Jesus is king. And one day we know that he'll even physically reign on the earth when he comes again. And in his first coming, when he came and he lived on the earth in the flesh for 30 to 35 years, somewhere in that ballpark, he inaugurated God's kingdom. In fact, if you, if you look at Mark chapter 1, verse 14, it says now, After John was arrested, John the Baptist, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. And he said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is what? At hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. And he says, repent, believe in the gospel. So we know when Jesus came the first time, he established God's kingdom on earth. He says, the kingdom is at hand. It's here. It's right now. He established it. But look at Jesus' words, his last words, before he ascended from the earth to be with the Father. In Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, I'll start reading in verse 1. Uh, it says, Luke is writing this to a man named Theophilus. He says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but now you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Well, he's with his disciples. He's teaching them about the kingdom of God, which is, he's already said is at hand. But then look at verse 6. So when they had come together, the, they, the disciples, asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So the kingdom's at hand. Are, are you going to just totally establish it right now? 
But look what Jesus says in verse 7. He says, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. In other words, Jesus says when they ask him, are you going to establish the kingdom? Are you, are you going to start it today? Give it back to Israel. Jesus says, no, not yet. Not yet. So in one sense, Jesus has already said the kingdom's at hand, but now he's telling his disciples, nope, not yet. It's already here, but it's not yet here. And then the way to think about this, we've talked about this before, but is that Jesus inaugurated the kingdom, but he hasn't consummated it and fully established it until he comes again. And so there's this, this in-between time that we live in where it's the kingdom's already here, but it's not yet fully here. And the not yet part will drop when Jesus comes again. So then he gives them some instructions in the meantime. What, what do we do now then? Well, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, starting right where they are, right in Jerusalem. He says, you'll be my witnesses here. You'll be my witnesses next door in Judea. You'll be my witnesses a little further north in Samaria. And then, then all the ends of the earth, you'll be my witnesses when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. A cloud took him out of their sight. And when they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go. So Jesus came once, and we learn here right away he's coming again. Because he's inaugurated the kingdom, and one day he's going to consummate it. He's going to fully establish it on this earth. And we're stuck here in the meantime. But think about this for a second. When Jesus came the first time, was it one of those things where when Jesus was born, he was just sitting around in heaven going, hmm, I'm getting kind of bored. Could use something to do. Let's go to earth. What do you think? Let's just go. I'm going to go. That sound okay to you? Does he just on a whim decide, I'm, I'm going to earth. I'm going to be born as a baby and... And that's going to be what I do. Well, look at John 8, verse 42. Jesus addresses this. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God, and now I'm here. But look about what he says about how he came. I came not of my own accord, but he what? He sent me. Jesus says, I, I didn't just decide out of nowhere I was coming out of the blue one day, you know, take a road trip. He said, no, the Father sent me. He sent me here. He, he sent him on a mission. In the Gospels, Jesus makes it clear that it wasn't just his, his own accord that he came to earth, but that he was sent by the Father. And one of the things you've got to know right out of the gate this month, as we talk about this this month during August, is that God the Father, as I've said already, is ascending God. He's ascending God. That's who he is. By his very nature, he sends. And when Jesus first came to the earth and inaugurated the kingdom of God, it wasn't because he just decided to come. It's because the Father sent him. He's ascending God. If you want a few examples of this, just in the gospel alone, Jesus says it over 40 times, by some counts up to 60. Here's a few of them, of where Jesus talks about God being ascending God. He says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have, help me out, you, whom you have 
sent. A little further, a few verses later in chapter 17, for I've given them the words that you gave me. Jesus is praying and, he, and they have received them and they have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. 10 verses later in verse 18, and as you have sent me into the world, Jesus is praying, so I have sent them into the world. Again, Jesus says, I've been sent by the Father. He's praying here with, to his heavenly Father, and he's recognizing over and over and over that the Father sent him into this world. Verse 23, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Loved ones, God the Father is ascending God. And here's kind of how it works throughout history. And if you read through the Bible, there's no one that God calls to himself that he doesn't then send on mission. No one. No one. Look at this. You start with God, because everything begins with God. And just a quick overview of the Bible. First, he sends the patriarchs. He sends Abraham. He sends Isaac. He sends Jacob. He sends Joseph. He, He sends all of these guys into the world as his ambassadors. And we're going to see that this morning when we look at the sending of Abraham. We're going to start at the beginning and look at how God sent Abraham into the world, how he called him to himself, and then he sent him. And then after the patriarchs, there's just Israel as a whole. He sends all of Israel. He sends them where? Into the promised land, right? To to conquer the enemy, to rule and reign and establish God's kingdom. And not only Israel, but he sends then prophets because Israel didn't quite get it right. And, and so the prophets are sent by God to remind them of what they're supposed to be doing, to remind them that they're sent by God and to stay on mission. And, and later we'll see, we just saw Jesus was sent. And after Jesus, Jesus says, just as you've sent me, I send them. The church itself, that's where we'll wrap up at the end of the month. The church itself is sent by God. And you know what that means? That means you are sent by God. You are sent. You're a sent one. When you hear the word missionary, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Help me out. What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear missionary? You think far away. Africa, not speaking English, people dancing around in loincloths, right? I mean, it's just, it's, it's totally separate from my world. That's missionary. Way on the other side of the world, not me. Here's the Webster's definition of a missionary. A missionary, according to Webster's dictionary, is a person undertaking a mission. It's a person who's undertaking a mission. See, and the the problem with us when we think missionary and we think halfway around the world, third world country, somewhere I don't maybe want to be, is we forget the fact that There's a sent aspect to someone who's a missionary. They're sent on a mission. They're they're undertaking a mission. They've been given a mission, and they're sent to undertake it. Missionary has underneath it this this act of sending or being sent. And the the problem with, with so many of us is we focus exclusively on the idea of sending rather than ourselves even being sent. And so when we think of missions, we think 
yeah, I'm going to give 10% or we're going to give 10% as a church to missions. And it's going to go overseas and it's going to build an orphanage like we've done, which is we've done a lot of great things, right? God's used us in some big ways. Build an orphanage, support children, support missionaries all the way around the world, Belgium, Africa, India, Central America. I mean, we, we support people all over the place. And when I think missionary, I think missions, that's what I think of. And and the the problem with that is that that's only half the picture. Because everyone who's ever trusted Jesus, after they're called to him, they're sent. You and I, let me ask you this. Have you been given a mission by Jesus? Do you know it? Jesus says, yeah, go, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. It's the end of Matthew baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. He says, behold, I'll be with you, how often? Always, even to the end. Now, Jesus didn't say, here's what you should tell your missionaries. You know, go make disciples, go to the ends of the earth, you know, but that's, that's, that's the missionary commission. No, it's the everyday commission. It's for all of us. There wasn't a distinction. Everyone is viewed by Jesus as a missionary. In fact, Jesus himself, you could argue, is a missionary sent by God into culture, into this world, to redeem with the, on a mission, undertaking a mission. And if we're going to understand God as ascending God, we're going to start to unravel this idea that missions is there, and I'm here doing church. That you, you know what? Oh, let's just be honest. It's a lot easier to think of things that way because it's a lot easier for me just to open my checkbook and write a check and give to missions than it is for me um, to, to get off my duff and go do mission in my community, in my neighborhood. It, it, there's a separation here where I think, oh yeah, I'm involved, I'm engaged, but am I really engaged like right here where I'm sent? You're a sent one. You are a missionary. And when you think about it, when you think about God as ascending God, you see it all throughout the Bible. The most dramatic illustration you'll see next week, Rock LaJoy will be here teaching about the sending of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. And, and, and you read about it in, in Isaiah chapter 6, Then I heard, a voice of the, heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And to this Isaiah responds, Here I am! Send me! But do you know what happened to the verse right before that? The verse immediately preceding that is when uh, Isaiah's lips are touched with a hot coal and the, the angel says to him, your sins have been forgiven. They've been atoned for. And in the very next verse, after he's called, after he's redeemed, what happens? God says, whom will I send? And Isaiah says, send me. And he gets sent. You see it with Isaiah. You see it at the end of the New Testament in Malachi, or end of the Old Testament, excuse me, in Malachi chapter 3. See, I'm going to send my messenger. Then in the New Testament, the New Testament opens with the arrival of a sent one in John the Baptist. And then, of course, Jesus is sent, and he sends the church. And at the very end, you read about God sending his angel in the end of Revelation. And he's ascending. Do you get it yet? God's ascending God. Abraham, Isaiah, Jesus, the disciples, the church. You could even argue Adam and Eve were sent. They're put into the garden and they're given a mission. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. From the very beginning, people are called and then they're sent. And this is because God is a missionary God. 
He's a God who's undertaking a mission. He is on mission himself. He's a missionary God and he's called to himself a missionary church. It's imperative, Mark Driscoll says this, it's imperative that Christians be like Jesus. You really want to be like Jesus? Then be sent by living within the culture as missionaries who are faithful to the Father and his gospel just as Jesus was in his own time and place. Walter Brueggemann says, Brueggemann says, the God that calls people to follow him also sends them on mission. And what I would argue with you is that in every instance, in every instance in the Bible, I don't know that I can find one other than possibly the thief on the cross. When God calls someone to himself, the next thing he does is he sends them on mission. First God calls and then he sends But even the thief on the cross gets called, right? Jesus says, you'll be with me today in paradise. And what's the thief do? He's on mission right away. He's witnessing to the other guy on the other cross. So I don't even know if that holds up. And if you're truly a follower of Jesus, you're called to him and then you're sent. And so that's what we're going to look at. A handful of examples throughout scripture over the next few weeks. And we're going to begin this morning with Abraham. So if you got your Bible, turn back towards the beginning. Chapter 12, we're going to start right in verse 1 of chapter 12. And preceding this, if you, if you looked back a few verses earlier in chapter 11 even, you, you read about how God has set things up after the flood and there was a man named Terah and he had three sons. He had Abram and Nahor and Haran and Haran... Had a, had a son named Lot, but then Haran ends up dying. And they're all in this area called Ur of the Chaldeans, which is lower, uh, it's in the Middle East, lower Iraq and Iran, the Persian Gulf area. And, and God calls Terah to take his family and to move them to Canaan. They start leaving, but they don't go very far. They just make it like one city away in this city called Haran. And there they settle down and they, they wait and they rest and Eventually, Terah dies. And Abram is left there with his wife, Sarai, and his brother, and his nephew, and all of his, all of his people who are with him. He's a wealthy family. And then you get to chapter 12, and now it says, The Lord said to Abram, this is actually before his name was Abraham, but he says to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Stop there for a second. Think about this for for a minute. I mean, Abram has lived his entire life in this area. How many of you, you've lived your whole life in Milford, Syracuse, Wawasee, Webster? You've lived here your whole life. There's a lot of you. My dad, uh, the town I grew up in, a little town in Iowa, a lot like Milford, called Alta. My dad lived there his whole life. He went to elementary, uh, high school. He he still, I mean, my mom still lives there today. His, His entire life was spent in that town. And he knew about everybody in town. And some of you who lived here, whole, you know, like everybody, that, that's Abram. He's lived in this area for his entire life. Yeah, he had moved from Ur to Haran, but it, basically same county. He was still in Kosciuszko County. He still really hadn't moved too far from home. And, and everybody knew him and he knew everybody and they knew each other's families. And God appears to him one day and he says to him, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house. Go, go, 
I mean, Abraham was probably, what, in his 20s? He was probably a college kid at this time, right? It would have been easy for him to pick up and leave, newlywed, no problem. And if you look down a few verses, you find out Abraham is 75 years old at this point. He's 75. And God says, go. Imagine if you're, you go to bed tonight, you lay down, you have a dream, and God says, go. And he says the same thing he says to Abram. He says, go from your country, go from your kindred, your family, go from your father's house. Go to the land that I'll show you. Notice, God doesn't even tell Abraham where he's going yet. He just says, go. Well, go where? Well, go, 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 I'll show you. Just, just for right now, just start going. <laughs> How many of you, you'd, you'd get up the next morning, you'd start packing. You'd be like, I'm gone. I don't think so, would you? Wouldn't that be hard? It's incredible the faith that we see Abram has. And we find out later in Hebrews that his faith was credited to him as righteousness. That because of his faith, he was, you learn of his character. I can't imagine that. Just God just says, go. And see, it makes it clear the command is really simple that God gives us. The God that God gives Abram. The command is so simple. Two letters. Go. 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 Now look at some of the things he says along with it. If we go back a little bit here to verse 2. Go, and I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. Uh, He says, I'll make you a great nation. Now, if, if you had read a few verses earlier, you would have read that Abram's wife, Sarai, who would later become Sarah, she's barren. And he's 75. Okay, where's this great nation coming from, God? Huh? She's a little past childbearing years, if you didn't know. I don't see this happening. How is this going to happen? But he says that I'll make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great. Well, previous to this in chapter 11, there was another group of people trying to make their name great, building this big tower, Tower of Babel. And what's God do? confuses their language so that they spread out. Why? Because they they didn't do what they were supposed to do originally. They didn't go on mission. They weren't being sent. Like they just decided, oh, we're just going to hang out here. Tiberius talked about this last week, that a lot of times persecution sometimes will come to the church so that we get back on mission, so that you get your butt moving and go be a missionary of the gospel of Jesus to your culture and to your world. And that persecution can serve a really good thing. And that it's not outside the realm of God's control or his hand or his authority. But sometimes he allows that so that we get back on task. How are we doing it? Being sent. And Jesus says, or or God says to Abraham, I will bless you. I'll make your name great. How come? See, the people who built the Tower of Babel, they wanted to make their name great just so that life was easy and comfortable. But he says, I'm going to make your name great, Abram, so that you would be a blessing. 
as just a small aside, when God blesses us, he blesses us so that we can bless others. Now, that's not to say God doesn't give us good things for us to enjoy. He does. And all of us, if we live in North America, we have a lot of blessings. We have a lot of good things. And you should enjoy them. That's God's provision to you. But you should also recognize that it's God's given to you. And that he's blessed me so that I can bless others. That's part of being sent. That's part of being sent as I I go, I, I bless others. He says this, I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So through this man, Abraham, eventually through his nation, Israel, all of the world will be blessed. And anyone, God says, who curses you, Abraham, or who curses your descendants, whoever, anyone who curses them, I myself will curse. That's why, just as an aside, I don't talk about politics very much, but the the whole abdication of supporting Israel is a really dangerous thing because God says, those who support you, Abraham, I will support, but those who curse you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So here's Abraham, 75 years old, and God appears to him and says, Abraham, go. Leave everything. Leave your family. Leave your home. Leave everything you know. Leave your country and just go. Okay, where where do I go? Okay, God, I'll go. I trust you. I love you. I'll go. Where are we going? I'll let you know. (laughs) I'll let you know. Now, again, the command's simple. It's just go. It's just go here for Abram. But we established already, if you're like me, the response would be really hard. The response is hard. The response to obey is incredibly hard. But look what Abram does. Look at verse 4. God says, go. So Abram went just as the Lord had told him. And Lot, remember Lot was his nephew, went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. So God tells him to go. We don't know when exactly God tells him exactly where he's going, but clearly God does. And he makes it to the land of Canaan and he gets there and the Canaanites are there. So God's called him to an area where there's no comfort. There's a bunch of pagan people doing pagan things who probably aren't going to appreciate Abram and his God. Yet what's Abram do? He goes. And you know what? I wonder if God had told Abram on the front end where he was going, maybe he wouldn't have gone. If God had told him, you're going to Canaan, the Canaanites will be there. You're, going to, you're probably going to face opposition. Abram was like, I was going to go. I think I'm good here now. I'm going to hang out for a while. Maybe until you get rid of the Canaanites, God until you make it easy. But he goes. And then the Lord appeared to Abraham, or to Abram, and said to him, to your offspring I will give this land. 
So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Imagine again, everything he saw in front of his eyes maybe didn't make sense to Abram. The Canaanites were there. They were, they were strong. They, they would have been powerful. They worshiped other gods. They were hostile to the God of Abram. And yet God says, everything you see, it's going to be yours. I'm going to give this to your offspring. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? So Abram built an altar to the Lord there who had appeared to him. And from there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and he called upon the name of the Lord. Verse 9, we learn eventually Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev or toward the south. He he kept, kept following God. Everywhere God sent him, he went. Loved ones, our God is ascending God. He sent Abraham. He called him to himself and then he sent him. Let me ask you, have you been called by God to repentance, to saving faith in Jesus? See, you're not a Christian just because you come to church. You're a Christian because you repent of your sin and you turn to and trust Jesus Christ with your life. And you turn from your way and you turn to Jesus. That's what repent means. It means to turn. And when God calls you to repentance and you make that choice and you decide to follow and you, you turn from your sin and you turn to Jesus, he doesn't just stop there and say, okay, hang out now. I'll be back. I'll come get you and then life will be really good. But for now, just lay low. Yet isn't that how we often live? We, we turn in faith to Jesus and we've got our get out of hell free card and we get complacent. And we lay low. And we just wait. Maybe that's what Abram was doing. He got to be 75 years old and he was just waiting. And finally God says, hey, you need to go. You've been sent. Because after you were called, I send you. And Jesus says, just as the Father sent me, I'm sending the church. I'm sending you. Do you understand that That following Jesus means I'm sent by him. But where am I sent? You ever read in the book of Acts chapter 17, I think verse 25, 26, somewhere in there in the 20s. Paul writes this, or Luke writes this, and he says, um, God has established the, the times and the places in which we live. That the fact that you live in North America, that the fact that you live in 2015, the fact that maybe you live in a, a really wealthy country, the fact that you have running water, the fact that you have the internet in your pocket on a little phone, things that no one else in history did, isn't an accident. God determines the time and place that every one of us is born and live our days. He determines it from eternity past. He picked it out for you and for me. And what he did is he said, uh, Lucas, you're going to be born and you're going to live in this time and you're going to be my witness here. That's where I'm sending you. And you're going to live in Milford for a while and you're going to go to school and Maybe you're going to go to college and I'm going to send you somewhere else, but, but that's, that's where you're sent. 
See, to be sent by God isn't this this radical thing where I wake up one day and, okay, yeah, I'm going to be a missionary, and now I'm going to go start doing ministry. No, wherever you are right now, God has ordained that, and you are sent there as an ambassador of the king. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 5.20, Paul says that we are his ambassadors. We're on mission. We're undertaking a mission. You are, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a missionary to 21st century North America. And that is the first place you're a missionary. The first place you're a missionary is Kosciuszko County or Noble County or wherever, wherever you live, your town, your street, your neighborhood, you are sent right there. And if you really want to be involved in missions, get involved right there. Don't start writing checks to send stuff around the world. Do it on your street because you're sent there. Now, listen, when I say that, I'm not saying that we're going to quit sending money overseas. We're going to quit supporting missions. We're going to be involved in that too. And, and hopefully more and more and more. But, but enough with the complacency that that's something else out there when God says, no, I've sent you here. You're a missionary. You're sent. Where do you work? You work at the school? Are you a teacher? You work in a factory on the line? Who do you work next to? You're sent to them. God has sent you to go talk to them. To be a missionary to them. What are you good at? God's given you those things to use those gifts to reach people here with the gospel. You're sent, loved ones, you're sent. So just getting up close here as we close. First, where have you been sent? Maybe you just make a list. What's the name of the street you live on? What's your address? Where do you work? What town do you live in? Uh, What county? What state? I think I know what state most of you live in. Right? Listen, God has ordained the time and place of your days. And he sent you here for this time and this place. There's no doubt in my mind that though I grew up in Iowa, I went to school in Chicago and in Ames and and God sent me to these different places. Now he's sent me here. I I didn't just, trust me, I didn't get on the internet and go, where should I move? And I typed in Milford and here I am. No, God ordained my steps and he worked it out. And I didn't see the whole time, but I knew I had to go. I knew I had to serve. And little by little, he unveils that plan one step at a time, just the light to my path, right? Right? And I realize I'm sent. And a lot of times I see that looking back, how God has sent me. And and that's why I'm here. What about you? Where have you been sent? Because here's why this is so key. So often, uh, many churches, and I don't believe our church is this way, but there's there's just this mindset in Christianity over the last few decades that by God's grace is going away, that somehow the, the pastor does all the ministry. He's the sent one. And the pastor is the one who visits everybody who's sick. And the pastor is the one who has lunch with everybody. And the pastor is the one who calls everybody when they're having a bad day. And the pastor is the one who counsels everybody. And the pastor is the one who mows the grass. And the pastor is the one who does this and does that and does this. I got to tell you, if if I had to do all that, (laughs) it, it wouldn't get done. And I'd be looking for a new job or you'd be looking for a new pastor because I'd have keeled over long ago. 
But by God's grace, we're all sent to be on mission. We're all sent to do that work. In fact, the thing I'm sent to do is not necessarily to do all those things, but to equip you to do it, according to Paul. So where are you sent? Because I'm not sent to those places, but you are. I don't know who works in the cubicle next to you. I don't know who puts the thing together on the line next to you. I I don't know who your neighbor is. That's why God sent you there. The next thing, how have you obeyed? How have you obeyed? See, Jesus says, go therefore. He doesn't just say go. That's the first part. But then he says, make disciples. Be my witnesses. Be my witnesses. How, how have you done at obeying? One, it may be just being content with where you've been sent. But then two, on, at being on mission, living as a missionary in the place that you've been sent. And that's not to say God won't send you somewhere else someday. It's very, very possible. In fact, it's very consistent with his nature. But for right now, how are you obeying? Number three, how do you need to obey? Not just how have you obeyed, but all of us, myself included, there's ways that that I haven't obeyed the command of being sent. And I can think of people on my street right now that I need to go talk to, that I need to develop a friendship with. How, How do you need to obey? And then finally, what's the holdup? What's the holdup? You have to wait till you're 75 like Abram? It'll be slower going then. But hopefully if he calls you at that point, you still go. But know that he sent you today. He sent you. Go therefore. Make disciples of all nations. In the name of Jesus, be his ambassador. Amen? Man, we're going to be talking about this all month, that God's ascending God. So if you're feeling a little queasy about it today, a little guilt, don't worry. Holy Spirit will keep working all month long. It'll be fun. But, but you know what? When we do this, that's being the church. Being the church isn't coming on Sunday and singing and doing, I mean, that's part of it. But being the church is, is not just when we're gathered because we're gathered for like an hour and a half every week. And you spend the other 150, 170 some odd hours, whatever it is, scattered out in the community, out in the world, sent out. Let's go live it. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thanks for Jesus. Thanks for your grace to us through him, and thank you that you sent him to us. Lord, as uh, we enter the fall, uh, August is a weird month now. School starts so early, and uh, things get ramping up even next week already. And on our calendars, there's just this shift that often happens in our mind and, and definitely in our community as school starts. And we gear up for a fresh start and for a new fall and for a a new season. As we do that, Father, I pray that you would remind us that this new season is one that we're being sent into, that we're sent by you as missionaries into it, and that you'd work in our hearts and in our church in such a way over the coming weeks and in in my life and in my heart that each of us would, would live out our sentness, that we'd see ourselves as missionaries sent to the street we live on, to the place we work, And that we would go about living lives as missionaries, bringing your gospel to people who need it. And I have no doubt 
that as we do that, number one, Jesus, you said, as, as we make disciples, behold, pay attention, you'll be with us the whole time. But also that as we do that, as we get on your mission, that, that your church will explode, that our community will change, and that, that we'll see you do things that we couldn't even imagine you doing. So give us courage to live as sent ones. Remind us of that, and uh, thanks for your grace to us that even when we fail, you still continue to nudge us and push us on. We love you. I thank you for Jesus. We pray all this through him. Amen.